Welcome to this installment of Witness to Yesterday, the podcast of the Champlain Society. My name is Patrice Dutille, and I'm talking from the Alan Slate Radio Institute at Ryerson University in downtown Toronto. Since we launched this podcast in 2017, we've dedicated a few episodes to Canada's experience of the First World War. We're now in the middle of what was known as the last hundred days, and I'm personally counting down to Armistice Day on November 11th. For me, and for many, many Canadians, this will be a very important day, the day that marks the 100th anniversary of the last day of this terrible war in Canada's past. To talk about the war, I'm delighted to welcome to the studio an old friend and collaborator, David McKenzie, professor of history here at Ryerson University, where he's been teaching for many years a course on Canada and the First World War. Mackenzie is also the editor of Canada and the First World War, an edited collection of 15 chapters that was published back in 2005. It has been reissued and updated by the University of Toronto Press. Full disclosure, I have a chapter in that book on aspects of the war experience in French Canada. David, welcome to the mic. Thanks, Pat. Thanks for asking me. You've been teaching this course on Canada and the First World War for a while. How does it compare with what you learned about the First World War when you were a student in your first years at university? Well, the first thing that would strike you would be that uh, we know so much more about the war than we used to. And the way that First World War was studied in the old days was more just soldiers and fighting and that kind of thing. We have expanded our understanding of the, the home front, uh, the way Canadians experienced the war, different Canadians experienced the war. All the, the developments that we see in the history field have been uh, taken up on First World War studies. And so we look at things on the home front and women and men and gender issues and race and all kinds of other things. So it's a much broader, much more sophisticated, much more well-rounded understanding of the war than was possible in the past. Now, when you undertook this book, Canada and the First World War, this was almost 20 years ago, in many ways you were way ahead of your time because you asked us to write about whole variety of aspects of the First World War that had never been touched upon before. What prompted you 20 years ago to get started on this? It wasn't to have a second edition published in 2018, (laughs) I can tell you that. I I wasn't looking that far ahead on it. Uh, um, What it was, was I had a long uh, relationship with Craig Brown as a teacher, mentor, and later a friend. Uh, Craig Brown was professor of history at the University of Toronto. Yes. And I thought getting together a collection of essays when he retired would be a good idea. And so that's, it was just before he retired. Uh, and as we all know, the regular festriff usually gets read by a couple of people and then put away on a shelf and uh, f- largely forgotten. So I thought one thing that would be a more lasting value would be to get people together and each each author would have a particular topic to write on, all dealing with the history of the First World War. So I mapped out names and I mapped out topics, uh, tried to bring different people together to write those chapters. A certain unevenness in the end result, because, you know, academics are not always that uh, responsible or reliable. Well, you were pushing us into areas that were different. For some people, yes. For some people, yes. Uh, And so it wasn't done with thinking about the centennial of the war or anything like that, or that I would be teaching a class later on uh, on the topic. So it turned out really well. Great book. And I'm very happy that uh, that U of T is uh, publishing a new edition. Now, you've added a new chapter to yes. the new edition, and you're looking at uh, what's been published about Canada's war experience since the first edition came out. What did you discover? Well, first off, I discovered that it's a very popular field, uh, and it's, uh, it's a growing field. In the big scheme of things, Canada didn't play that big of a role in the First World War. If you read most sort of histories of uh, the First World War by non-Canadians, you might find Canada mentioned once or twice in the index. 
But within Canada, there are a number of scholars who've been working on this field and broadening our understanding of the war in, in, in incredible ways. Uh, so a lot of stuff has been written uh, to people who were neglected in the earlier histories. Uh, we know with the opening up of the personnel records in the Library and Archives Canada, we have so much greater knowledge about the individual experience of soldiers. So now we know what they ate and what they sang and what they did. And those who did sign up and those who were rejected and those who suffered mental illness, uh, there's a huge uh, amount of stuff being written. I know we've talked about this before, but it's still very much, though, in a very traditional kind of style of the things that we've written about newer fields of transnationalism and, and that sort of thing. There's relatively little of that in the new historiography of, of Canada in the First World War. It's still a lot of old question about whether Canada was transformed by the war. Mm-hmm. You know, did it come out a different place? What's and, your thinking on that? Uh, I've, again, my, my, my studying of the issue uh, has uh, very much in the historical field. So David, how do you think the writing has changed since the, uh, you published the first edition? You've now added a new chapter to the book where you look at what's been published since the first edition appeared. What's been your thinking? Well, what I found is in the first way, I mean, we've written a lot more about the First World War and we've studied many aspects of it that had been neglected before, the people who fought, fought the war. Uh, we know more about the, uh, the neglected people, the people who didn't make it in. We know more about those who signed up to fight. Uh, the opening of the personnel records, as I mentioned before, is... Uh, opened up a tremendous uh, ability to understand, you know, mental illness, uh, uh, cowardice, uh, crimes that are committed by soldiers. We know more about what they did, how they ate, what the songs they sang, uh, all that kind of stuff. There's been a huge amount written on that area. We have a much more sophisticated view of of, uh, an understanding of Canadian society in the First World War, the role of women, uh, all kinds of other uh, First Nations people. Uh, So we know an awful lot more about it. In a general way, it's still largely very traditional in the way that we've approached the war. And uh, we haven't ventured very far into the new areas of things like transnationalism and new kinds of ways of looking at the war. And so what has been written is largely in the very more traditional way of that idea of was Canada transformed by the war, the idea of a nation transformed. Now, you, you bring that topic up. Of course, one of the great books that Craig Brown wrote with Ramsey Cook was the history of that period of Canada, and they called it a nation transformed. With all the reading that you've done, uh, what is your thinking on this? Was the nation transformed as a result of the First World War experience? I have to give a resounding yes and no (laughs) answer. Because in many ways, again, my background is in traditional history. And we were raised to be critical of these kinds of grand narratives and the idea that, you know, we went up the hill as, you know, individuals and came back as Canadians and that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And so I've always been of that the school thinking, well, no, it's not really that's transformational. Uh, you look at our economy and it was developing the way it was and that uh, you can't imagine that we would be that much different today if the war hadn't happened. Is there anybody out there who would say, well, women wouldn't have the vote if it hadn't been for the war, even though it happened federally and provincially during the war for most provinces? So most of the changes that, that come in the 20th century likely would have come anyways. And so in that grand scheme of things, no. I don't think that the nation was transformed in, in a significant way. But on an individual level, you can't see people coming out of that war being unchanged. 
And so maybe a nation wasn't transformed, but maybe 8 million Canadians that made up the nation were transformed. They were certainly different uh, when the war came to an end. Different how? What makes you think? I just don't think you can live through such a traumatic experience without having some some change about it. You see it for the generation that fought the war. They're there when the yes. second war breaks out, and they know what they're, they're getting themselves into. At least they think they know. And one thing that we are discovering more and more is, is, is in, in terms of trauma is that uh, historians uh, are, are revising the number of dead. We traditionally have used the figure of around 58, 59,000 dead soldiers in the First World War. It's now been revised up to 68,000. As the government of Canada, uh, my understanding is that the historians at the Department of National Defense are are reopening uh, files, personnel files. In the past, uh, if you died of your war wounds, you were counted as among the war dead, but you had to die before October 1922. Mm-hmm. And the government has reopened the files, and they're now discovering that a lot of men died of their wounds, but after 1922. And this has really increased uh, the number of, of, of casualties. And more names are being discovered, uh, people who had enlisted who've been uh, found missing. Um, so we are discovering new aspects about, again, personal trauma, things that would not have been appreciated perhaps you know, as recently as 10 years ago. We're discovering more and more about that. The war touched a lot of people. As a historian, you have to read a lot. And so you read a lot of people, individuals, talking about how their experience of the war changed them. And I've met vets and, you know, in the old days, talked to them, and they would uh, I know I worked on a biography of Arthur Irwin and, and spent hours talking to him, and he would talk about the war experience and how he came back from the war, a changed person, and very much that kind of you know colony to nation kind of thing. And my you know hard background in history, I'm sort of not really rolling my eyes, and here we go again with sort of the nation born and all that kind of stuff. And you see it happening over and over again. And as I get older, I'm starting to think, well, maybe it was me. Mm. You know, that if so many people keep saying it over and over again, that something happened to them and they came back and I sit there thinking, well, I know it didn't really happen that way because I'm, I'm a historian. Remind us again, mm-hmm. Arthur Irwin, what was his life? He was uh, an Ontario uh, born man who was of a fighting age and signed up in the uh, artillery uh, and served uh, in the very latter part of the war. And then he came back and he worked as a newspaper reporter and then went on to be uh, editor of McLean's magazine and film commissioner at the National Film Board. So a man of influence, a man who uh, had a great deal of decision-making power in his later career, who, who told you that how much the war experience had changed Yes, him. and the other people that, you know, he was a, a, an army buddy with Brooke Claxton, who went on to be a very influential politician. And so he, he knew a lot of people. It was a smaller country in those days. Sure. And so he, that whole generation. Lester Pearson? Lester Pearson. Fought. fought. Uh, John Diefenbaker was at some point on the front. but we, Well, he was... Or near the front? <laughs> he made it over to Europe. <laughs> he, made, and then, he made it over to Europe. And then was sent home. Have we changed our minds about this war over the last, let's say, over the last decade? We see the prime minister earlier in 2017 gave a speech at Vimy, at the Vimy Memorial. We have, uh, the Vimy Memorial has been uh, refurbished. Uh, we talk about Vimy a great deal. This is uh, the work of uh, Pierre, I would argue is Pierre Burton's work 30 years ago. There's a dispute now between you know people who think that Vimy was important and people who don't think that Vimy wasn't important or all that much. 
What's your sense of how Canadians are remembering the war today? I think we've had enough of Vimy. You know, uh, it, Vimy is a, a metaphor. You know, it's a symbol uh, of the war experience, and I'm okay with that. That's where the, the statue is and the monument, and so that's what we remember, and we can honor that and, and note that, uh, you know, on anniversaries. I don't have a problem with that. But it's just a symbol of a larger thing. Uh, and so to focus so much attention on, on Vimy is probably not the best from a historical point of view. I mean, from a societal point of view, if it's okay. There's something we should focus on. It's interesting to see how Canadians have remembered the war. I'm thinking of the, the work that uh, Jonathan Vance did on um, the efforts made to remember the war in the 1920s. Uh, and we see this, every small town in, in Canada has a cenotaph uh, to its war dead, the local war dead, the local boys who uh, who fought and who didn't return. We have the, the, the poppy campaign emerged in the 1920s, has been with us. You still see people wearing poppies starting on November 1st. Do you see this continuing after after the hundredth year? The hundredth year milestone is finished. I mean, what 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 could we do, or should we do, or should we be done with remembering the First World War? Should it just become something for professional historians, or is there value in in having a popular uh, expression of of remembrance? Well, I mean, that's a very big question. I mean, first off, what to remember was has been debated since the day the war ended. Yes. Um, you know, the, all, if you read the histories on the Vimy Monument, I mean, there were a lot of soldiers who said that shouldn't be the one. And so um, they picked it. Yes. And so we have to live with it. Uh, and so you can make a case. But they were, they were arguing about it uh, for many, many years. And I, I think we will always remember the war. Will it be in the future? You know, it's impossible to say for sure. But will it in the future be at the same intensity level that we've seen the last few years? Probably not. But I don't think we can forget, because as you mentioned, you know, everywhere you go, in, in Ontario especially, there are monuments to the, the First World War. Uh, every small town has got one, and they're not going away. And so it's interesting to see how these uh, memories are, are, are fabricated, are, are cultivated, uh, how they rise and how they fall. And so again, uh, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see in, in the future years uh, what will be the fate of, of remembering. Well, if you think about it. If you went away for three or four years and you came back and said, Dave, what's happened in the country in the last four years? And I said, well, the parliament buildings burned down. Mm. And, oh, Halifax blew up, you know, with a couple of thousand people killed. And then, oh, we had a flu outbreak and 50,000 people today would be about 200,000 yeah. died of the flu. And you say, well, that's a lot. <laughs> and then I'd say, well, actually, that's still the second story. <laughs> the war was more important than that. So I don't think it's going to be forgotten. It was a traumatic time in our history, wasn't it? Now, you've read pretty well everything about the war. Are there books that stick out in your mind, fiction or nonfiction, as, as particularly worthy of, of, or, or insightful or books that have amused you or interested you particularly? Well, first off, there's, there's a lot been written. And uh, as you mentioned in, in the introduction, I had to write an updated chapter for the new edition of the Canada and the First World War. So I have been surveying a lot of the, of the work. One of the things that struck me is that I handed that chapter in last January. And since then, I've seen about a dozen things that I hadn't read uh, and, and new stuff that's come out already, you know, in the last uh, year. So I'm very optimistic about that. As far as what's been written, some of the stuff that's, that I found most engaging has been on the military side, sort of trying to bring together that divide between military and social historians. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's getting into the, you know, the way that the war was experienced by individuals. You have to look at someone like Tim Cook, who has published a whole shelf worth of stuff. Uh, and his two-volume, the way I, I look at it is what books would I would have liked to have written? Mm -hmm. 
And he has a two-volume uh, on the daily on the life Canadians of the in the First World War, the Sharp End, and, and that, that that one has to stand out as one of the, the real best uh, of the new stuff that's come out. What about fiction? You're a fiction reader. I think I'm getting tired of reading Canadian novels about the First World War because yes, I do. I read them all, and there I, there are a lot of them, aren't there? There are a lot of them, and there is, especially in Ontario. You know, there's a lot of sort of small town Ontario man returns from war broken, uh, and you know, hijinks ensue as a result. Uh, and they're all good. They're all very earnest, uh, and you get the impression that everybody was unable. Or sorry, maybe I shouldn't have a double negative, but nobody was able to uh, get back into their lives after the war was over. What well, comes back to that theme you, you you raised originally? I mean, the, maybe the nation itself wasn't transformed by the event, but that individual lives were. Yes, but I think from a, a literary point of view, the, mm -hmm. the the backdrop of the First World War is a is a fantastic one. Yes, it's not like the Second World War where there was we knew what we were fighting for. There was good versus evil, and you know, good triumphed in the end. The First World War is so such a big question mark. Well, why, why did we fight? We still don't really even know why we fought. You know, that's what we should have been asking in, in 2014 is why did we fight 100 years ago? And what did we get out of the war? You know, the mm -hmm. 60,000 dead is the old, the old line. And so against that backdrop, that question mark, it's a great palette on which to, to then put a story on. Right. And so I think that's one of the reasons we have so many novels about the First War so few about the second war. It is striking, isn't it? Again, it, testimony to the to the searing effect of, of that war. Now, looking at it with all the things that you've read and and have documented, are there any mysteries left to the First World War? What what is it that we don't know? Is there something that that to your mind uh, is an unanswered question? Well, there are always questions. Uh, there are always new histories to challenge the conventional wisdom. So whatever people are thinking, someone will come out and say it wasn't really the case. I think when, when we get over the anniversary and we begin to look at the way we, I don't know if celebrate is the right word, but that we acknowledge it and commemorate it, we tend to focus on our participation in the war. And something tells me, and I don't really know, but mm -hmm. something tells me that we're going to look more at the areas where we didn't participate. You know, of all the people that volunteered, well, there were almost as many that didn't. Yes. You know, and we've written so much about the soldiers and those who went. Uh, and, uh, and maybe it's time to start looking at why did so many native-born English Canadians not fight? Uh, and that might be something that people might look at. But it tends to reflect our society. You know, we've had epidemics, you know, uh, global epidemics in the last 20 years. And so we learn, you know, people are looking at those kinds of things historically. And so we know a lot more about the Spanish flu at the end of the war. You watch the news and there's stories about, you know, boy soldiers fighting in, you know, peacekeeping missions around the world. And we look at them as sort of horrible, horrible things, rightly so, I would say. Uh, and so now we're looking more at these boy soldiers that fought in the First World War, something like 20,000 Canadians served in, in the CEF, in the Canadian Expeditionary Force, who were underage. But we don't look back on them as being sort of horribly sort of We don't think victims. of them as boy soldiers. Yeah, we think <laughs> they were rambunctious, spunky little guys who, <laughs> you know, who went in at 16 and were told no. And so they came back 15 minutes later and they said they were 18 and sort of, you know, and they were taken in and we see them in a positive way. So maybe we'll start looking at that a little bit differently. So we, you know, history will change with the times as it always does. Is there a future for First World War studies? Oh, yeah. There'll oh, still be sure. more. Sure. There'll be more. There's still things that it's need still, to be written. It's still a, a scar. I was up in Kinmount, Ontario, doing research for this talk the other day, and right across from the chip stand 
uh, is the cenotaph. I was waiting for my French fries, and so I was walked across to take a look at it. Uh, and it has for the, the fall in, and it's just a little concrete slab for the fall in, in the, the Great War. Uh, and then there were 12 names. And then you can see someone had come in and carved an S uh, on the end of war. So the Great Wars. And then below the 12, there's another five names. And so Kinmount is a very small town, had 12 losses in the first war, but only five in the second one. So I think the First World War has, has a future. It has a future. It's yeah. still, still going to be with us. And as long as those cenotaphs stand, there'll be a vivid reminders of, 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 that, uh, of that searing experience. Thank you, David, for sharing your uh, ideas on this important topic. I have a feeling there's, uh, there's a great deal more on, on, this, uh, on this First World War experience, and I, I, I get the feeling that we're going to be writing about it some more. Just coping with the psychological impact, the individual levels, I think that this is going to be, uh, I agree with you, it's going to be an area that's, uh, that'll be worth, ex- be worth exploring. I was speaking with David McKenzie, the editor of the second edition of Canada and the First World War, published at University of Toronto Press. He teaches in the history department here at Ryerson University. You've been listening to Witness to Yesterday, the Champlain Society podcast on Canadian history. Please visit our website at www.champlainsociety.ca where you'll find more about what the society does, including its publications, its blog, and more about these podcasts. There's even a place to become a member and sustainer of the society if you'd like to hear these conversations with historians about our nation's past. This interview was recorded in the Alan Slate Radio Institute of Ryerson University. It was recorded on October 1st, 2018, and produced by Naomi Katz and Richard Ansey and Hugh Backhurst. Thank you, everybody. See you next time.